0: Hey, I, I want to echo uh, Shelley's words, though, and just uh, strongly encourage you, urge you uh, to get in a life group. Uh, it's so uh, significant to uh, a feeling of being connected around here and uh, really being part of what's going on here at Cross Point that I, I just want to encourage you to find a group that fits for you and your schedule and all those kinds of things and to go out to the connection point and get signed up and be a part of a group this uh, fall. I am confident that uh, you'll be glad that you did. Well, we've been exploring for the last couple of weeks what it looks like to live out Jesus' call in our lives to be a light. And we've kind of said along the way several things now about what it looks like to be this light that Jesus calls us to be. We've said that we ought to be bright and visible, that we should shine all of the time, unlike we've used the metaphor of the street light that is outside of my bedroom window. And unlike this one, the one outside of my bedroom window is off more than it's on. And we've said that shouldn't be true in our lives, that our light for Jesus should be on all the time. We should shine it everywhere we go. Uh, Last week, we talked about the reality that Jesus has planted us in our home or apartment or place that we live, and he wants us to be a light to the people who live around us. And uh, last week, after the message, I got some feedback from some of you throughout the week, and some of you, you went home and you went out and met your neighbors, and some Invitations were extended for dinner, and so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for living out this week uh, what Jesus calls us to be as His light. I want to talk today about another uh, group of people, another group of people that need the light of Jesus in their lives, and I believe this group of people, like the others that we've talked about, is a group of people that Jesus is counting on us to be the light they need in their lives. To sort of set the stage, I want to look at uh, an incident in Jesus' life that's recorded in Luke chapter 4. And So if you want to turn there quickly, we're only going to spend a couple of minutes here in Luke 4, then we're going to jump to a passage in Matthew that will spend a little more uh, time on. Jesus in Luke 4 is recorded going to the synagogue or to the temple on the Sabbath day uh, to worship and to be instructed in the Word of God, as all people in his faith did. And so he goes to the, the synagogue, and I don't know exactly how this worked in their time, what exactly the custom was brother jesus was asked ahead of time to read or rather when it came time to read from the the scriptures of the old testament he just wanted to and so he he stands which was the appropriate action to take if you were going to read out of reverence for the holiness of god and so he would he stood to read that day and the attendant picked out what he was to read and handed him the scroll of the book of isaiah the prophecy that isaiah had written and so Jesus takes that scroll and He unrolls what Isaiah has written and He finds these words that are recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what Jesus read that day in the, in the synagogue. He said, "...the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to go preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Then verse 20 says, Then He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And He began by saying to them, and He said this, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says that, that guy that Isaiah describes that is coming to, to set the oppressed free, that guy that is coming to care about the poor, I'm that guy. I'm the one. And I have come to bring healing to the hurting. I have come to care for the poor. I have come to bring salvation to everyone. And Jesus, in that moment and repeatedly throughout His life, set an incredible example for all of us by caring deeply for people who were struggling in poverty and other hurts in their lives it shouldn't surprise us that God has always cared about the poor. It's true throughout the Bible. In fact, if you were to sit down and read the Bible from beginning to end, you might be surprised at the frequency in which the poor are talked about. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, you will discover that poverty, caring for the poor, is the second most popular theme just behind idolatry. In the New Testament, one out of every 16 verses makes a reference to the poor. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, one out of every ten verses makes reference to the poor. And in the book of Luke, one out of every seven verses speaks about the poor. God has always had a heart for the poor. In fact, I heard about one Bible college student who went and found a really old Bible like this one. And uh, he decided that he would take this Bible and begin reading at the very beginning. And every time he came to any passage in the Bible that spoke about the poor, he would do this. He would take his scissors and he'd cut that part out. And he did that as he read through the whole Bible, cutting out every place that he came to where the poor were referred to. When he got to the end, he could barely hold the Bible together. It was in shreds. Because it was so filled with holes at all of the places that God speaks about the poor. You know what? If we choose to ignore what God has to say about caring for the poor, we end up with a Bible full of holes. And so I want to spend some time today talking about this thing that we really can't ignore. I mean, Jesus makes it really clear that we might choose to try to ignore what God has to say about the poor, but Jesus says if we're really following Him, we can't ignore it. So if you brought your Bibles, I want you to turn to this passage, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew's is the first book in the New Testament part of your Bible. And I want to look at several verses here, and I want you to mark where this is in your Bible, and I want you to go home this week, and I want you to read it a couple of times for yourself and evaluate honestly whether or not you're living out what Jesus instructs us to do. In Matthew chapter 25. Jesus has been teaching for a little bit when he gets to these words. Matthew chapter 25 verse 31. Here's what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his heavenly His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now here's here's what's being described. Jesus is describing His second coming. He's talking about at the time, at the end of the age, when Jesus returns. And at that time when Jesus returns, there will be this judgment that takes place. And Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. He'll separate those who have really followed and those who haven't. And then He goes on to teach this, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then there is, Jesus goes on to kind of give the opposite side. He describes people who didn't care for the needy, who didn't care for those who were in prison. And Jesus says, if you didn't care for Me, you're not really following it. And He says this in verse 45. He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for Me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now wouldn't you say, that Jesus must think this is a pretty important issue. Because in essence, Jesus is saying here that my followers, someone who is really following me, will care about hurting people. Someone who is really following me will care about the poor. And if you don't care, Jesus indicates, then maybe you're not really following me. Now honestly... When I read this passage, which we've looked at in times before here, but I come back to a day today to refresh our minds. And when I read this passage and I think carefully about what Jesus teaches here, there is a part of me. There is a part of me that wants to push back. There's a part of me that wants to argue with Jesus. You can't really mean that, can you? There's a part of me that wants to say, that's just not right, Jesus. But if I look honestly at what Jesus says here, undeniably, Jesus teaches here that if I'm really following Him, I will care for hurting people. I will care about the poor. Jesus makes it unmistakable. Now here's something. And so I want to talk for a few minutes today about how it is that we're supposed to care for the poor. But my goal this morning is not motivational as much. Because honestly, as we read this, I think there is deep within the heart of anyone who's following Jesus a desire to live this out. I want to spend more time, my goal today more, is to focus on how it is that this is supposed to happen in our lives. You see, there's something in this story that really just jumps right off the page in me. As you read this story, it's really clear that Jesus says, how I treat other people is really how I'm treating Him. And you know What? The implication is that you could then take the opposite of that and say the way that I treat Jesus or the way that I would treat Jesus is the way that I ought to treat other people. I think we sometimes struggle though when it comes to really caring for hurting people. I'm not sure we always treat other people, hurting people, the way we would treat Jesus. If Jesus were hungry and I was going to move to try to meet His need for food, in the process of trying to meet that need, how would I treat Him as a person? If Jesus had other needs, and in the process of trying to meet those needs, how would I treat Him as a person? And that's the same kind of question we really ought to ask when it comes to caring for the poor. In the process of meeting their need, How should I treat them as a person? And I think we unintentionally struggle with this. Because very unintentionally, I don't think there's any part of this that we need, but very unintentionally, often when when we go to meet the needs of people who are struggling with poverty, we do it in such a way that communicates that we're superior and they're inferior. Because we kind of come swooping in to save the day. And our actions unintentionally communicate that because of our economic means that we're a lot smarter and we've got all the answers. But I don't think treating people like that honors Jesus. Now again, we don't do it intentionally. That's not our heart. That's not our intention. But often that's what we have communicated to people in the way that we have chosen to try to help them. Let me illustrate with a story. There is a book called When Helping Hurts. It's a great book. Several of us have been reading it. And in this book, it tells the story of Creekside Community Church. Creekside was a suburban church in a city here in America, uh, a middle-to-upper-middle-class neighborhood, a lot of economic means. Now, just as they should have, they had a heart for caring for the poor in their city. And so they locked in on a housing project and determined that they were going to do something to serve those people. And so at Christmas time, they collected toys, lots of toys. And then as a big group, they took those toys to that neighborhood, and they went around and knocked on doors, and they handed children toys, and the children's faces lit up with delight. And they walked away feeling really good about what they had done. In fact, they felt so good about it, they decided when Easter rolled around, they would take Easter baskets to them, and when Thanksgiving came, they took turkeys, and they continued to do this for a period of time. But as the years rolled on, the leaders in the church noticed that the interest in the volunteers was rapidly declining. They had fewer and fewer volunteers who wanted to go and serve. And so in a meeting one day, the pastor simply asked that question, why are so few people now willing to go and serve the people in this neighborhood? And here's what, here's what the people said. They said that we keep noticing that as we go there, nothing's really changing. It seems like those people want to, don't want to do anything to improve their situation. And they said one thing that really bothers us is that when we go to those homes, there's never a dad present. It just seems like these moms are having more and more babies so that they can have more and more welfare and nothing changes. You see, that was their perspective on what was happening in this neighborhood. But it, they didn't understand the culture. Here's what was actually happening in that neighborhood when they would show up to pass out toys to the children and the fathers would hear them coming or hear their knock on the door. Do you know what the fathers were doing in those homes? They were going out the back door. They were going somewhere to hide because they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed that here were these rich suburbanites coming into their neighborhood and providing toys for their children, something that they longed to be able to do themselves, but they simply didn't have the financial means to do it. And so what was intended as good by the people who lived in the suburbs actually ended up doing harm because it degraded the fathers in those homes. Now, is there a better way that this could have been done? Is there a way that they could have gone about lifting them economically while at the same time lifting them as people and doing it in a way that would honor Jesus? Absolutely. You know what they one option they could have done? They could have still collected those same toys and brought them to that same neighborhood, but they could have created some kind of store-type operation and sold those toys at very, very affordable prices and allowed the people in that neighborhood to come in and purchase the toys for those children. Or if they didn't have the means to purchase them, to do some kind of labor to earn the money to purchase those toys. Thus, at the same time, they would have lifted them economically. They would have lifted them as people. Because they would have considered and brought into reality the fact but here we need to not come in and act like we're superior, we've got all the answers just because we have economic means. They were focused on developing the whole person and not just meeting their need. You know what our perspective when we go to care for other people should not be how can we go fix the material of poor? Brother, our desire should be how can we go and walk together so that God can fix both of us. Because here's the reality. As people, we are all broken. As people, we all need some fixing. And as people, we all need Jesus in our lives. And here's another reality. There is more than one kind of poverty and the reality is all of us probably live in some kind of poverty. I know there's material poverty, and that's what we usually think of, but there is also relational poverty, there is spiritual poverty, there is emotional poverty, and there's a long list of kinds of poverty that people often live in. And so when we go to care for those who are struggling with economical poverty, we need to go with the realization that while we may be able to lift them out of their poverty as people, that at the same time, they have the capacity to lift us out of the poverty of our lives. And while we may lift them economically out of poverty, they may lift us, for instance, out of relational poverty. And we need a little bit of a change in mindset. In January, when we celebrated our fifth anniversary as a church, one of the initiatives for our future that we announced was that we wanted to adopt a neighborhood somewhere in our region that the people were suffering from economical poverty and they were hurting. And it probably seems since we have uh, introduced that initiative that not a lot has happened. And it's probably true on the surface, but behind the scenes a lot has been happening over these past few months as we're moving towards launching officially that initiative. We have... uh, had some meetings with people like the Housing Authority and we asked them if you would, were to pick a neighborhood that you'd want us to adopt, where would it be? And they identified the Barrett Park neighborhood, which is just off of Pondela Road. And we've been making some initial contacts, uh, very initial in that neighborhood and making some connections relationally there and uh, just trying to come to understand. We've put together a lead team that are, are pushing forward in this initiative to help us to take the right steps Uh, to eventually, in just a couple of months really, begin to officially launch what we want to do in that neighborhood. In fact, you'll see in your uh, weekly update today, there is an opportunity for tutoring in that neighborhood, a way that we can uh, lift the whole person there. And so if you'd be interested in volunteering to tutor at Barrett Park, uh, read about that in your weekly update, stop out at Action 365 and uh, find out the details. Uh, There are opportunities. And so all of that is coming. But listen before we take our first step into Barrett Park, we have to go with an understanding that they have as much to offer us as we have to offer them. And we go as broken people to serve broken people. And we go to build relationship with them. We go so that they can become our friends. We go so that we can learn from them and they can learn from us. And we go to serve with the right heart and the right attitude. And we go hoping that even as we might be able to lift them out of the poverty of their lives, that they at the same time can lift us out of the poverty of our lives. Because as I read what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 25, when I initially read what he teaches here, it seems to say, he seems to be talking only about physical needs, right? If they're hungry, if they're thirsty. But as I study that more deeply, there is a part of me that wonders if what Jesus teaches here goes beyond just the physical needs. And when Jesus speaks here of someone who is physically hungry, is there also Jesus talking about the hunger of our souls? And when Jesus speaks of someone who is physically thirsty, is He also speaking about the thirst of our hearts? And if so, then it is not just about meeting the physical needs of people. It's about also meeting the spiritual needs. And that can happen both from those we go to serve and those who are served. And when it comes to helping, there really are three forms of help that we can offer uh, to people. The first level of help that we is often offered to people is relief. And relief is uh, it's the most common one. It's the one that we are most used to being a part of. And relief simply is providing resources to fix an immediate crisis in somebody's life. It's what the Red Cross does when there is a hurricane. They come to a community and they bring water and they set up food stations and they meet an immediate need to stop the bleeding in a sense. It's exactly what the Good Samaritan did on the road when he met the man who had been beat up by the robbers in the Bible. He bandaged his wounds and he moved him to safety. He met his immediate need. And there, that is exactly the appropriate response in many circumstances, is to meet their immediate need. But here's the reality about it. The reality about relief is that that is only in certain circumstances. And there are times that we have continued to hand out things to people because that's what we see relief work as. And what we don't always understand is that while we think we might be helping by giving handouts, in reality, we have done more harm than good to the very people we desire to help. Second level of help is rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. And rehabilitation is about helping people or a community get back to where their lives were before they experienced a crisis. This is exactly what's going on in Joplin, Missouri right now as they are trying to recover as people and as a city from the horrible hurricanes this spring. You see, immediately they needed relief, and people came in and did relief work and gave them food and clothing and water. Now they have moved on to the next stage of rehabilitating their city and their lives. It's a very significant step. In the process, in fact, maybe you saw on the news this week how their schools opened back up and to everyone's surprise, uh, they had places for all the kids uh, to go even just this short period after such a tragedy. And there are appropriate times where rehabilitation kind of stuff needs to happen. And th- the third level of help is called development. And development is an ongoing process where both the helpers and the help trying to get to the place where they are once again a whole person. It is about building relationships. Development is not something that is done to someone, but something that is done with someone. And again, it is highly relational. It is about building relationships so that people can be completely the person that God created them to be so that they can recognize and realize to the full extent their own God-given gifts and abilities. It is development when it comes down to serving in Barrett Park and beyond. That's what we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of something that raises the whole person to be all that God created them to be. You know, back to my story about Creekside and their toys. What they did initially, just passing out toys and homes, that was relief work. And in their case, because they misunderstood the culture, they ended up doing more harm than good. If they would have taken the route, like I described, of setting up some kind of store where the people could, with dignity, without embarrassment, have purchased those gifts to be able to give them themselves to their children, that would have been development. And again, our goal, as we reach out, to Barrett Park and beyond, is development and not relief. So I want to encourage us this morning that as we think about taking those first steps into Barrett Park, we think about going with the right attitude, about going with an attitude that honors Jesus, that we think about going there to build relationships and friendship and earning trust so that together with the people who live there, we can chart a path that leads to raising up people to be whole again the way God created them to be. Now, does that mean that we'll never pass out things? No, I'm, I'm sure there will be times that it will be very appropriate for us to give things. Does that mean that we'll, we won't go and just serve? Absolutely, we will go and just serve. But the ultimate goal is development and not just relief. Now, you know what? We'll probably make a lot of mistakes along the way. I'm just sure we will. But the biggest mistake that we could make, the biggest mistake that would disappoint Jesus, would be to do nothing. Because after all, someone who is really following Jesus has to care about hurting people. Someone who is really following Jesus cares about the hurts of the poor. It's just part of being a light. It's just part of being the light that Jesus has called everyone who follows Him to be wherever they go. Let's pray together. God, uh, thanks for Your example and Your heart for hurting people, for the poor. God, would You help us to have that same heart? God, would You help us to to see people, not just the people in one particular neighborhood, but really the people, God, all over our city. Would you help us, God, to see them exactly the way that you see them? Help our hearts to be broken in the way that your heart is broken. And God, help us to respond to meeting the needs of those people in a way that honors Jesus. A way, God, that lifts the whole person to be all that you've created them to be. God, would you bless what we'll do in Barrett Park and beyond? God, help us to do it in a way that honors you and pleases you and communicates value and worth to people. Thank you, God, that you have loved us in the poverty of our sin. Help us to love people in their poverty in the same way. Thank you, God, for what you do in our lives and how you'll continue to work through us as we shine our lights. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.